Welcome back to Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history, fantastic stories, and engaging personalities of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. This week, our time machine has encountered a little weather trouble. It is late evening, May 10, 1946. We are taking shelter under the east stands of Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. It's the conclusion of the first day of the state track meet, and all around us are tired, wet athletes who have just finished a miserable day fighting rain and sleet and cold north winds. Only the shot putters and the high jumpers have avoided the weather, as their events were held right here, under the stadium. The rest of the field and the fans are chilled to the bone. Most have left the stadium, but 50 boys remain, as bunk beds are assembled for them to sleep in under the stadium. The new track qualifying system has produced an increase in competitors, and the Lincoln hotels are full to overflowing. To accommodate those who found no room in the inn, the university is building a makeshift dormitory under the stadium. So what is this new qualification system that has overwhelmed the Lincoln hospitality industry? Well, it's basically the system we still use in the spring today. 1946 saw the qualifying method for the Nebraska State Track and Field Meet go through the second and thus far final transition in its history. In the early days of the century, state high school track was basically an all-comers meet. Schools would enter all the athletes that they chose. The individual coaches were the only gatekeepers. Of course, eventually, that became unwieldy, and there were calls for qualifying standards. The next system, adopted in the 30s, was very similar to today's state swim meet process. An athlete would qualify for state when they met or exceeded a predetermined time or mark at a meet where the timing and administration of events was considered up to par. That system lasted a couple decades. But the modern fan can see the limitations right away for a sport like track, in which almost every high school, no matter how small, no matter where it is located, chooses to compete, as opposed to modern swimming, which is reserved for only the biggest schools with facilities to offer it. Some schools would have access to three such qualifying track meets every week of the year, while others would be begging to get into one or two of those meets in a whole season. To make qualifying more standardized in 1946, the NSAA, still calling itself the NHSAA in the 40s, by the way, would host a series of regional track meets, we would call them districts, in each class. The top athletes in each regional would qualify for the state meet, which in that era would be run inside Memorial Stadium on the university campus in Lincoln. Amazingly, with just a few tweaks, that's the system we still have today. Still four classes, still qualifying meets spread out across the state. When you think of all the changes in the state tournament selection process for basketball, from one-and-done districts of the 40s to the current Class A system that so rewards regular season performance by using it to define and host districts that it's nearly impossible for a top regular season team to not make state, it's amazing that state track qualifying has remained so static for 70 years. Even the state football playoffs, in their short 40-year history, have undergone big changes in the number of teams qualifying, the number of classes playing, and the various calculations used to choose the teams. 
Yet, in track, we have the same four classes as 1946, and the district meets look very much like those first 1946 regionals. The modern fan will notice one difference, and though it's not really one that affected the athlete's chances to qualify, it sure affected the fan experience. Dual hosting by one site. For example, Columbus would traditionally host both a Class A regional for the big schools, roughly the East Big Ten area, but it would also host a Class C regional on the same day for smaller schools in a certain radius from Columbus. Omaha University would host the Class A Omaha Schools Regional, but at the same time would run a Class D meet for the local small schools as well. Opportunities like that to see multiple classes compete at high levels are rare today. The apparatus for these meets was not quite as sprawling as the basketball tournaments because fewer schools in the 40s fielded track teams. In 1946, it was just 223 track schools versus almost 500 round ball hopefuls. And because doubling up meets from different classes meant fewer sites, there were 26 districts, 4 in A, 6 in B, and 8 each in C and D, to be run at 17 different sites. Bayard hosted two days in a row in order to hold regionals in classes B, C, and D. There were some hiccups. In a sign that perhaps this system was a little ahead of itself, the Class A district in McCook had only four shot putters entered, probably because the coaches were used to only entering athletes they thought could compete for state medals. If those McCook shot putters had wanted to collude, they could have all thrown short and mucked up the state meet because of a fail-safe loophole in the rules that said any regional performer who beat the mark of a champion in another regional automatically qualified, even if they didn't finish in the top spots of their own regional. Luckily, there was no mischief in the mind of those Western weightmen, and the first regionals would go off mainly as envisioned. A bigger issue was the rarity of tracks measured and shaped to conform to the high school rules. There just weren't enough of them. The worst of the bunch seems to have been in Albion, where the Class B regional was run on a track that Greg McBride of the World Herald describes as, quote, a poorly kept rectangular 356-yard track, unquote. The staggers in Albion had been measured incorrectly, and runners in lanes 4, 5, and 6 had unfair advantages over the inner lanes. Several expected qualifiers were left home because the error wasn't discovered in time to effect a remedy. That was one of the complaints of the coaches, who told McBride they wanted to return to the old system for 1947, where an athlete had a four-week window to post a qualifying time, rather than one day to put up or stay home. Interestingly, the numbers show that the state meet actually hosted more runners, rather than less. 630 athletes from 184 teams well outstripped 1945's numbers of 479 athletes and 140 schools. The principals and superintendents who would vote whether to keep the regional qualifying would like those numbers and ignore their coaches' pleas. Omaha Benson, Hastings, Lincoln High, and McCook set themselves up as Class A favorites by winning their respective regionals. After a fairly mild spring, weather had not been pleasant for the regional meets, so the marks weren't impressive, but the field looked strong when looking at times posted in better weather at earlier meets. Leo McKillop of McCook has picked up where he left off in football and basketball and is expected to be one of the stars of the state meet. 
McKillop put up state best marks in the 220-yard dash and the long jump. He also won high hurdles, setting up a showdown with the star of the Omaha Regional, Benson's Bob Berkshire, who swept both hurdle races there. The other bunny expected to star at the regional, 880 runner Jim Martin, the returning gold medal winner in the event from 1945, was instead nipped at the tape. Martin had pulled up and was cruising in, knowing he was safely qualified for the state meet, when Omaha North's Bill Holderness caught him in the last stride. In a twist that wouldn't be allowed in the modern NSAA, Holderness spent most of his time that spring patrolling second base for the Viking baseball team. He decided to trade in his baseball glove for track shoes and ended the day as a regional champion and a track meet qualifier. That would be his only statewide competition for the spring, even though North had a decent baseball team. The state spring high school baseball tournament had been first contested in 1939. It continued through 1942 and then was halted for World War II. Even though Hitler and Hirohito had been vanquished by 1946, the uh, Nebraska State Baseball Tournament wouldn't return until 1951. Even without a state championship to chase, the Omaha schools continued to play high school baseball. The Inner City League is the only high school baseball evident in the old newspapers. As the season nears its end, North, Tech, South, Benson, and Prep are all pushing to take the top spot in the league race. In other words, everyone but winless Central. In the season's final week, things will get more convoluted. Prep will face Benson with a chance to win the league outright. The Bunnies will be looking for a win to secure a four-way tie, including Tech and South. Neither will happen. Prep will lead the game 6-0 in the third and see the weather starting to turn. Thinking rain, Prep coach Bob Miller orders his charges to start taking quick outs, trying to get to the fifth inning and make the game official before the rains come. Benson is angered by Prep, stepping on the plate and batting out of order to manipulate the speed of the game. The Bunnies are pulled off the field in the fourth inning by coach Scotty Orcutt. The controversy spends some time in the newspapers, and the league eventually orders the game to be completed. But by then, the school year is over, and the summer has begun, and it never happens. Not only is there no state tournament in baseball in 1946, there seems to be no Omaha Intercity League baseball champ either. Luckily, the summer legion season will not be so anticlimactic. Fremont will host the tournament and win it, downing Omaha South in the final. Multi-class baseball in the summer will begin two years later in 1948. Pitcher Paul Menking was the ace of the Fremont staff and was named to the head of the Omaha World Herald's American Legion All-State Team, along with Hastings pitcher Dick Spady, who will represent the state in the National Legion All-Star Classic to be played at Brooklyn's Ebbets Field, called Brooklyn vs. the World. A young infielder from Grand Island is also on the All-State squad, despite having not yet taken a class at Grand Island Senior High. Bobby Reynolds won't start his sophomore year until September, but he's already showing signs of becoming the special athlete, the Mr. Touchdown, if you will, that we all know of now. State competition in tennis continued through the war, but the NSAA only recognizes individuals and doubles champions until 1947, when the first team title was handed out. In 1946, William Berg of Creighton Prep was the singles king, and a Lincoln High pair, Carl Farenbach and Willie Polite, captured the doubles trophy. 
The World Herald does list team trophies. Maybe they added them up on their own. And claims the state title for Lincoln High, noting the Lynx edge defending champion Omaha Central when the doubles team beat the Eagles in the finals. The competition was plagued by wet courts and was moved inside to the wood courts of the NU Coliseum. There were no Woods Park bubbles available back in the day, of course. Golf is the only spring sport besides track that continued to crown state champs, team state champs, through the war years. The one modification made to the state meet was that from 1939 through 1946, it was one day and 18 holes instead of two days and 36 holes, which it will return to in 47. Pioneers Park in Lincoln hosted the meet, and hometown Lincoln High continued its dominance of the state, winning its fourth of seven straight golf crowns in the 1940s. The individual medal went to Dick Knight of Creighton Prep, who beat the field by five strokes, carding a 73. Just as state basketball in 46 has been home on the university campus for two decades, state track has been in the Cornhuskers Memorial Stadium since it was built in 1924. The old lady on Vine would open her doors to all those athletes during the day on May 10, and then put up those 50 of them we mentioned earlier in bunk beds that night. They'd be in dire need of that warm, dry bed after Friday. Much like the regional events, the weather had been a problem. Over a thousand spectators had filled all the gaps in the indoor facility under the stadium to watch the field events, which could be staged under cover, and they would only rarely sneak out into the rain and north wind to catch a track race. One victim of the cold is Hastings sprinter Bob Schreiner. The Tiger was expected to challenge McKillop in the 220 and give Hastings a run at the team title. Both hopes disappear when he pulls a muscle in his 100-yard qualifying heat. Class D will be the Don Vollertson Show. His 9.5 points all by himself will lead Talmadge to a repeat state title. His event combination is rare. On Friday, he finishes second in the shot put. Then on Saturday, he takes off his weight man disguise and wins the long jump, the 440, the 220, and anchors the Bulldogs winning 880 relay. His quarter-mile time was the best in all classes and secured him the gold medal. Lowell Nielsen of Spalding is the only other double winner, sweeping the discus and the shot. Ken Farley and Richard Henderson will key the Bassett Tigers to the Class C championship. Farley wins the 440, and Henderson takes the 100. They will sweep 1-2 in the 220 and team up to win the relay. The defending champ Atkinson Haybalers finish second, with Warren Kelly winning the high hurdles and Dean Keating tying for first in the vault. The Nebraska athletic scene is poorer without a team nicknamed the Haybalers anymore. West Holt's consolidated Husky nickname just doesn't fill that void. The Bison of Central City will take Class B honors. Bob Hank is their only winner, claiming the long jump, but team depth held off Broken Bow as the Bison scored in six events, including a clinching second in the finale relay. The Indians' Frank Wooters was the star of the section, winning the 100, 440, and the high jump. The race to remember in Class A is the high hurdles, as Benson star Robert Berkshire holds off McCook's McKillop for the gold. Both runners bested the state record time in one of the state's greatest races of all time. Leonard Kroll of Boystown also picks off two wins, taking the 100 and edging McKillop in the 220. 
McKillop will get his gold in the long jump and anchor the McCook Relay win that will clinch the first-ever Bison State Track Championship. Dan Piler of McCook will tie for the pole vault crown with Scott's Bluff's Leonard Keel. The Bearcats also won the high jump with Fred Ruff to secure them second place and give the new Big Ten Conference a 1-2 sweep of the team board. James Martin of Benson will finish every step of the 880 this time to add to the Bunnies total, which will put them third. Fritz Davis of Lincoln Northeast swept both the weight events. We are still five years from the inaugural Omaha World Herald and Lincoln Journal Star Athlete of the Year awards, but that shouldn't stop us from speculating. Several solid candidates jump out. Cliff Cliff Hop of Hastings is an all-stater in football and baseball, as well as a state track meet qualifier. Gene Wickenkamp of Creighton Prep is honored as all-state basketball and baseball. Rod Dalby of Omaha Benson was all-state basketball and a state track qualifier. I think it comes down to a two-man race, though. High school historian Jerry Mathers names his small school hero Don Volertson of Talmadge, and he's tough to argue with. Volertson was all six-man state in football as he led the Bulldogs to an undefeated season. He was the leading scorer on their basketball team that made it to regional finals. He's a four-event winner at state track in the shot put, sprints, and jumps, leading his team to a state championship. And remember, his quarter-mile time won the all-class gold. Volertson would go to Nebraska and let her in track three times. His competition is just a junior in 1946, Leo McKillop of McCook. McKillop was all-state football, honorable mention all-state basketball on a state tournament team, double winner at state track, who added two second places to lead his team to the Class A state title. McKillop would, of course, be an even stronger candidate in 1947. After that, he would go to Notre Dame to play football, lettering, though never starring, on two national title teams in three years. I think I'll leave that question open on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash suitingupvarsity. Who would you name the 1946 Athlete of the Year in Nebraska? Another award the World Herald hasn't initiated yet is the All Sports Award, That one, I think, is more obvious. Scott's Bluff shared the football title, won district basketball and track titles, and finished state runner-up in track. Maybe the only argument comes from Fremont, with its American Legion state title and basketball semifinal finish. Notice that those two represent the western and eastern edge of Nebraska's new super conference, the Big Ten. Add McCook's track title, and it's a more than proper opening act for a conference that will live large in the Nebraska prep scene for four decades. The Big Ten was born to help those far-flung Class A schools compete statewide, and man, did it work. The conference will capture the next three state football titles, McCook in 46, GI in 47, and 48. In basketball, Grand Island will sweep in 47 and 48, and Hastings will be the runner-up by a whisker in 49. In track, McCook will repeat in 47, and then Alliance will grab the crown the next year. And that's just the 40s. Fremont, Grand Island, and Scotts Bluff will all win football titles in the 1950s. The Bearcats capture two, with two or three other conference schools in the top five almost every year. In fact, every school except Kearney will record a top five rating in that era. Scott's Bluff, again times two, Fremont and Hastings will win basketball titles, and the Big Ten teams will be runners-up four other years in the decade of the 50s. North Platten Alliance will claim track titles, and Scott's Bluff, of course, will win too. 
Hastings will win four American Legion baseball titles from 1953 to 1960. The 60s will be nearly as good for the Big Ten, as North Platte, Columbus, Scotts Bluff, and Fremont all claim football trophies. Only Fremont wins a basketball crown, but Scotts Bluff grabs two track trophies, and Grand Island wins four and adds an American Legion baseball title as well. In the 70s, Fremont leads off the decade with a football ratings title, and Norfolk claims a share the next year. Grand Island wins a playoff crown in 1978, when no Omaha school had yet won one, and Columbus wins the Class A basketball title in 1972. Alliance claims Class B track in 75. Norfolk wins the Class A track title, and Grand Island nabs two, including the 71 trophy, when Grand Island, Hastings, and Fremont finish 1-2-3 in the state. But still, the footprint of the Big Ten on Nebraska athletics is obviously growing smaller by then. By 1980, when Jerry Mathers publishes his great prep history book, he includes an essay entitled, What the Hell Ever Happens to the Big Ten? Lamenting the conference's decline, he decries the mediocre gray of the conference school's efforts, pointing mostly to the league's one lonely state basketball title over the 19 seasons from 1962 to 1980. He wonders if it is poor coaching or, quote, a country club approach to competition. Just try and not get beat too bad. Play the right kids. I rarely take issues with Mather's observations, as he is the undisputed king of Nebraska prep sports scribes, but here he is obviously avoiding the obvious. There is no doubting that the Big Ten was producing less on the state level, but that is simply a facet of numbers. In 1946, the Big Ten was 10 of only 23 Class A schools, and they were some of the biggest in many cases. The Omaha Intercity League had only six teams then. Lincoln had only two. But fast forward to the late 60s. OPS has opened Burke and has more schools planned. LPS has added Southeast and East. District 66 and the state legislature have conspired to create a juggernaut at Omaha Westside. Suburban schools like Bellevue and Papillion and later Millard are growing into Class A competitors. By 1980, McCook has slipped to Class B size and Alliance is close. The Big Ten is now only 10 of the 40 biggest schools. They go from being almost half to barely 25%. That is Mather's answers to what the hell ever happened to the Big Ten. The conference stays completely intact until 1974 when Alliance succumbs to shrinking size and long distances and leaves. Kearney leaves a few years later, and the conference finally folds its tent in 1985 after 40 great years. The early 80s weren't complete radio silence for the old league, as Fremont will win 1981 and 1985 state track titles, and McCook captures Class B in 1982. That Fremont 1985 track title had to be especially bittersweet for a league that had hosted the state's premier conference meet for four decades. Ironically, if anything had really happened to the Big Ten, perhaps breaking up may have fixed it. Since the conference parted ways, those 10 schools have 14 football titles or runner-up finishes, 17 basketball finals appearances, and 20 track titles. Those numbers produce averages per decade that exceed the Big Ten's output in the 70s, not to mention 14 cross-country titles, 9 big wrestling trophies, 26 golf championships, and 9 tennis wins. The lesson for this week is that conferences matter. Nebraska high schools are constantly moving and shifting between conferences for good reason. Finding the right combination can fuel great success.
And with that, we will wrap up our trip to post-World War II Nebraska. And next time, we'll try something a little different. Instead of looking at a specific year, we will take a look at some schools and try to determine the greatest athlete ever in their history. So, start thinking. Who's the greatest athlete of all time at your school? Who's the greatest ever at your primary rival? Let us hear about it on Twitter, where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity. You can tag your comment with hashtag GOAT, as in greatest of all time, hashtag NebPreps. Or let's talk about it on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash suitingupvarsity. When you get there, you can ask questions about Nebraska high school sports history, leave suggestions for future episodes, tell us what you think about the modern wildcard system versus the old all-or-nothing districts, or answer this episode's trivia question, which, by the way, at this time, I still don't know the answer to. It is, what year did the Nebraska State High School track meet move from Lincoln's Memorial Stadium to Kearney State's Foster Field? We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on iTunes or wherever else you find your podcast. Leaving some ratings for us really can help others find our show. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, Episode 2, Number 3, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by Tate Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network, copyright 2016.